Welcome to Alphabet Soup, a podcast where we're going to work our way through a wide variety of biblical topics using the alphabet. Our goal, of course, is to understand the Bible better, but we also want to find ways in which Scripture applies to our daily lives. So with that intro, let's get to it. Welcome back to part two of V is for Vengeance, and the cliffhanger at the end of part one was our decision and what the uh, people I consulted with, the, the fellow believers I consulted with, had to say. And I said the vote was three to one. One of them said we should let it go. The other three said you should by all means pursue it. We ended up pursuing it. The pastor, our pastor, was the one who said you should let it go. And, and frankly, that weighed a lot in our decision-making process. The attorney said, you have a solid legal case. From a legal standpoint, uh, you should, in my mind, proceed. Um, he, he, he just had no hesitation at all. Again, he looked at it from a legal standpoint. The physician, um, he led our small group. Uh, they hosted our small group. He said, you should absolutely, uh, because he says, I'm a doctor. This stuff happens, but this was not just uh, a, a complex issue. This was a simple, straightforward, should never have happened mistake. And if they're doing this kind of stuff to you, they're doing it elsewhere as well. This is carelessness. And he speaks from, from a, a sense of pride in his own profession. He says, this should not be. Uh, you should take action so that others are protected and, and don't have to go through what you went through with potentially a, a life-ending uh, outcome, and these people are held to account. The nurse at the hospital said, um, what she said was, yes, you should proceed. And she didn't go any further than that. She just said, yes, you should proceed. And she said it in a way that made it clear there was no hesitation. So we decided to proceed. It took us over a year. Um, you know what? Now that I say that, I think it was almost two years. Um, which had to do with the statute of limitations. Eventually, the hospital settled, and, and we got a payout that came from the hospital's insurance policy, no doubt. It was not a large settlement. It put a new roof on our single wide, which uh, was, in fact, halfway through the process of putting on a new roof, it started to leak in the kitchen. That's how close to total failure it was. It also uh, it also replaced Pam's beater of a car with a three-year-old used car that we got through Carvana, which is kind of an interesting story. But the point is, we decided to proceed. Our thinking was, yes, God preserved us. Secondly, these people have apparently been careless, and there were hints from the medical professor, uh, the medical professional, the doctor that I talked to, and the nurse that we asked. That, that this was not a one-off and that this needed to stop, this kind of behavior needed to stop, and we could be the means of protecting someone else. Secondly, we knew the roof needed to be replaced. We didn't have any money for it. We knew Pam's car needed to be replaced. We didn't have any money for it. God preserved and protected her through that second, oh, but through both heart attacks. And, and could that be, in fact, God's way of doing good all the way around for people that we'll never know who won't have misread test results and, and, and. And we get a new roof and a, a good, reliable used car out of the deal. We decided to proceed. What a horrible two years that was. Uh, we learned things we never want to learn. 
one of which was, don't kid yourself, your attorney does not work for you. He works for himself. And in fact, the real estate attorney, who was a good friend of mine, um, said at the beginning, just understand he is not working for you. He's working for his 30% cut. Uh, and that cl- turned out to be clearly the case. If you ever get the opportunity to go there, any kind of civil action, think and pray long and hard about it. It is a horrible world you are not at all going to enjoy. And if you get, I say this tongue in cheek, you're going to earn every penny that you may get as a result. Anyhow, that's the decision that we made. So, was it a right decision? Was it a just decision? Was it dikaiasune? Was it righteousness? We spent a lot of time, like I said, doing a lot of research, talking about it, praying about it, talking with these uh, informed friends of ours, and made that decision. And looking back, I'm at peace with it. That in itself doesn't mean anything, right? I can be at peace with horrible behavior. It says more about me than it does the behavior. But that's what we did. Okay, Let's talk about quickly about a couple of other special problems. Um, oh, by the way, if if you think I uh, uh, that we made the wrong decision for some reason, hey, feel free to let me know. Uh, you can do that through our Facebook page. You can send me a message through Alphabet Soup on Facebook, or you can uh, send me an email: ABC Soup Podcast, ABC Soup Podcast, all one word at gmail.com. Interested to hear from you. Let's take up a a couple of things, though, that we should discuss before we go any further. And the first of these is a group of psalms. Um, There's, uh, I think, 10 of them all together that are called the imprecatory psalms. There's an interesting word, huh? Imprecatory. Sounds like some bird that lives in Australia. But what the word means is uh, to call down a curse. These are 10 psalms that call upon God to curse, I think in every case, David's enemies and do horrible things to him. Uh, I don't know if you've ever come across these, but they are so striking that I've, I decided I want to read, not all of them obviously, I want to read you three examples, uh, four, I'm sorry, four, of imprecatory psalms, not the whole psalm, but uh, a portion of that psalm so you can hear what goes on. And the way it turns out, these are arranged, I think, in increasing levels of intensity. Let's see what you think. The first is Psalm 69, and we're going to begin at verse 22. And he's talking about his enemies. This is David talking about his enemies. Let their own table before them become a snare, and when they are at peace, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see, and make their loins tremble continuously. Pour out your indignation upon them, and let your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents, for they persecute him whom you have struck down, and they recount the pain of those you have wounded. Add to them punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and let them not be enrolled among the righteous. Yeah, there's gentle stuff, huh? There's Sermon on the Mount kind of writing. Now I'm turning to Psalm 83 and I'm going to read to you verses 13 to 17. O God, make them like whirling dust, like chaff before the wind. 
As fire consumes the forest, as flames set the mountains ablaze, so may you pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your hurricane. Fill their faces with shame that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be put to shame and dismayed forever. Let them perish in disgrace that they may know that you alone, whose name is Lord, are the most high over all the earth. Psalm 109, verses 6 to 15. Appoint a wicked man against him. This is apparently not against a group, but an individual. Appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayers be counted as sin. May his days be few, and may another take his office. May, listen to this, the implications. May his children be fatherless. You understand what he's saying? May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity his fatherless children. May his posterity be cut off. May his name be blotted out in the second generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord, and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before the Lord continually, that he may be cut off the memory of them from the earth. That was Psalm 109. Okay, now one more. Psalm 137, uh, excuse me, my arthritic fingers. Psalm 137, verses 7 to 9. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, Blessed be he who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little children and dashes them against the rock. Seriously, this is David. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Well, isn't that just Sermon on the Mount? Why is David asking God to do these horrible things? How do we fit that with the notion of vengeance? One of the things that is consistent through all of these, if, if you listened carefully, if you listen again, or if you go back and read these, David is leaving it up to God. He says, God, you do it. Here's the deal. David has an incredibly strong sense of righteousness, especially as it applies to the treatment of God's people or the treatment of God's king. There is righteousness. If that standard of righteousness is broken, vengeance is not a bad thing. Vengeance is a good thing. In fact, if we're going to preserve righteousness, vengeance is a necessary thing. There has to be lex talionis. There has to be a punishment that fits the crime or the whole system breaks down. And this is God's system. And so David says, I am perfectly, not just within my rights, I am perfectly righteous to ask God to maintain the system he has set up 
to fulfill his promises to protect his people and to do that by bringing down his most severe judgment on the people who have mistreated Israel, the people of God. David is, in fact, doing what is right. The imprecatory psalms, you can find commentators who say, these shouldn't be here. David has fallen off his horse. Shame on him. No, good on you, David. He is demonstrating a, a, a very high regard for the law. And, and if, if he blew it off, he would be blowing off the standards that God has set. Um, this is a deep and holy sense of justice. I used to be really bothered by the imprecatory psalms. And then I would, I would find, once I decided I can't be really bothered by them because they're in the Bible. And then I found workarounds. I would say, okay, David's saying he wants horrible things to happen to these people, but, but he doesn't really mean it. What he really means is, God, if you think it's appropriate. No, 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 no. I've decided, frankly, as a result of my prep for this episode, don't kid yourself, man, I have so much to learn. Anyhow, he's saying, God, you need to do this. You have to do this in order to preserve righteousness. If unrighteousness isn't punished, then what of what worth is righteousness? The whole system will fall apart. Okay, there's the imprecatory psalms. Um, this is why Paul says, uh, don't seek revenge, but leave it up to God, for vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. See, that's exactly what David was doing. Vengeance, preserving justice, preserving righteousness by punishing unrighteousness, is God's work, and consistent with Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, I should let it go and leave it up to God. Okay, I promised you the German word schadenfreude. You should learn that word. German has a lot of fun words. Schadenfreude is one of them. Heilsgeschichte is another. I think we talked about Heilsgeschichte in year one when we got to H. That's a good word that's also fun to say. German words are good, strong words. Heilsgeschichte. Uh, Schadenfreude. Schaden, Schadenfreude means taking pleasure at the suffering that a bad person experiences. And permit me then another story. Um, on a separate, at a separate time, totally separate time, Pam had flown on to uh, Phoenix to visit the kids from Eugene, where we lived, outside of Eugene, and I drove down. I would do that because rental cars during the month of January are incredibly expensive here, and I like a solo road trip. I like the solitude of driving for a 22-hour trip. Um, Somewhere north of L.A., there was construction, and the freeway narrowed down from four lanes down to two. Well, that was a pinch point, and you can imagine how far back things backed up. Uh, I am tired. I've already been driving for about 15 hours, and I've got seven hours more to go. Um, and I, am, I was in what was the far left lane, but now I've got to merge two lanes to the right, and I do that, and I try to do it reasonably. That is to say, I wait until the guy behind me has fallen asleep or is talking on his phone or whatever, and he's not snug up upon the guy's back bumper, and so I slide in there. Um, meanwhile, come racing up the shoulder is this young guy. I can see it's a young guy, and he's, he's driving one of those um, Japanese cars that he's, I don't remember if it was a Toyota or whatever it was, but but he's turned it into some... Um, hot rod type car and he comes screaming up the shoulder 
and he's decided that I am his target, that he's going to cut in in front of me. And uh, maybe, I'm in, maybe I'm in a bad mood because I've been driving for so long and I'm tired and I'm hungry and it's LA and now there's even more traffic than normal. And I decided, hey, Buster, uh, you're not getting in front of me. And so I, would, I, kept, I kept inches from the back bumper of the guy in front of me. And he would try to dart in there and he'd fake and he'd feign like he was turning and feign like he was turning in. And I thought, no, 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 no. You don't realize you're, you're dealing with a Scandinavian here. I'm stubborn. That's my middle name. You're not getting in. Well, he kept doing that. And frankly, at some point, I got tired of fighting him. I'm already fighting the traffic. I'm going to let this guy in. So I did. I let him in. And not seconds later, in my left-hand rearview mirror, I see flashing lights. And I see this cop coming up the shoulder. And I think, okay, he's going to pull me over because he watched me keep this guy out for as long as I did. And he didn't. He went right on by me. And he flagged this young kid in this uh, hot rod. The derogatory term is racer. That's what you call um, uh, a Japanese manufactured car that has been turned into one of those uh, speedy... uh, with a tomato can for, a, for an exhaust pipe, that kind of thing. Um, and he pulled that guy over. And it was far enough up. The guy had done that enough times and moved up far enough that I could see what was happening. And I watched that cop get out of that car with his ticket book in his hand and walk up to that guy in that car. And I thought, ah, you got yours. That is schadenfreude. That is taking pleasure in the suffering of someone who has done you dirt. And, and whether it's someone who cut you off or whether it's someone who cheated you out of something or if they did bad and you suffered, then when it comes around to them, the, the contemporary term is, is karma. huh? Karma will come back and bite you in the rear end. That, and, and you enjoy that feeling, that's schadenfreude. It is taking pleasure in the suffering of someone who has done you dirt. And I am not immune, as I just told you. Uh, I, uh, I've experienced not just then, uh, times since then. There are other times when I have been done dirt and, and waited eagerly to see it come around, to see, to, to put it in contemporary terms, to see uh, their karma come upon them. Is that bad? Is that sinful? Is that me trying to take vengeance? And if it happens, if this guy gets written up a $200 ticket for unsafe, I don't know what it would, lane, whatever it would be, is that schadenfreude? Is that sinful? Or is it exactly the kind of pleasure that David would have experienced when he saw the righteousness of God upheld by uh, a calamity falling upon these nations that had abused Israel. Which is it? How do you feel about schadenfreude? Does schadenfreude violate the Sermon on the Mount? And, and is it at least inconsistent with the spirit of Romans twelve nineteen, where he says, uh, don't seek revenge, but leave it up to God, for vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. And if it comes, is there a difference is there a difference between rejoicing that righteousness has been upheld and enjoying the suffering of this guy that cut me off? Here's the answer. I don't know. I am, at 73 years old, 
still wrestling with the concept of schadenfreude, and I cannot decide if it's Leviticus 24 or the Sermon on the Mount, if it is the imprecatory Psalms or if it's Romans 12:19. And if you figure it out, you please let me know because I can look at it both ways. And when I'm experiencing schadenfreude, I'm more inclined to think this is righteous indignation and this is uh, pleasure that, that the standards have been upheld. And then after I've calmed down and look back on it, I think, no, 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 no. <laughs> this was a violation of the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know. You figure it out. But there's a look at vengeance. And, and if you, like me, have thought of vengeance as being a negative thing, I think you need to change your mind and see that it is the upholding of the righteous order of things, that it is necessary in our nation's legal system, and that to the extent that we fail uh, to let the state, not me, to the extent that we fail to let the state execute justice um, and and execute vengeance, then we should expect nothing but trouble. However, I should not take it upon myself. It is not my job to even the score. That's not up to me. I should let God take care of that. If he takes, takes care of that through the auspices of the state and the courts, or if he takes care of it through that cop with flashing lights coming up the shoulder to my left, I don't know, but it's not my business. Okay, I don't know if this has been instructive or helpful or enlightening or whatever. I'm glad you stopped by. If nothing else, I hope it gets you thinking about a word in a different way and maybe rethinking what you've thought. And uh, next week, we'll be back with a letter W. God bless. Thank you.